0: The reason that I do quote ministry and spend time with people and uh, train people who can also minister to people isn't because I love people so much. I do kind of love people just because my father loves them, but I'm really here because I want to know him. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Well, hi, everybody. It's, uh, I I don't know, it feels like it's been a while for some reason, but uh, it's good to be with you again this week. This is Stephen, and um, I'm going to be alone this week, and I'll explain that in just a second. I don't think uh, I need to waste Mark's time on this, which is, I'm just going to talk about me this week. Intro to me. Uh, my intention is that we would get one of these for Mark as well, but I've just thought over the years, we assume uh, quite a level of trust from our listeners And at the beginning, um, most of the people that listened to us knew us, um, knew me from either Texas or Cincinnati and knew Mark from either Texas or Utah. And our uh, listenership has expanded, I'm happy to say, and we now have tens of thousands of people that listen to us and you might not know me and I don't know, maybe the... uh, the threads of trust might be thin because you don't know me or my story. So I just thought I'll take some time to talk about my background, just so you'll understand where I'm coming from. If you listen to me week to week and I pop off with my opinions, you might think I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what I think of you. Well, uh, I just thought I'd give you some handles to that. So. We're going to do an intro to Stephen this week, and I'm going to walk through some of my um, spiritual background, my religious background, so that you'll kind of know where I came from there. I'll talk briefly about my financial background, so you'll know where I come from there. And then I'm going to finish this week with a special edition of Stephen's Church Rants. Won't that be fun? because um, I've got a bee in my bonnet, and I'm going to share it with you. So I'll start with me and my religious background. As I said, I, you have uh, if you listen for any amount of time, you've heard from my parents, my wonderful parents, Roger and Linda. Those are good two good 1940s names. They brought me up Baptist, um, just going to Baptist churches. It was great with my parents because they didn't teach me to have any particular allegiance to Baptistness, but uh, that was the context that uh, my sister and I grew up in. And when I went off to, and, and I was very happy and secure in that in that uh, context. and uh, for me, I, I you know, asked Jesus into my heart, I'm putting that in air quotes, I asked Jesus into my heart at the age of six. So I said yes to him, but I, I really feel that I gave my life to Christ at 17. I was a junior in high school. My youth minister, who I was good friends with, and a small group of guys were going through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship, which I think is a precious book. We we're going through The Cost of Discipleship. And I just felt, uh, I don't know that I've exactly signed over my life on the dotted line. To, to Jesus. So I did that as a junior in high school. When I went off to college, um, I, I got involved kind of by default because my sister had preceded me um, to, to Texas A&M. Kind of by default, I got involved in the Baptist student ministry there Um, but I didn't have any particular need to find a Baptist church. A matter of fact, I just wanted to know God that, that, that was my, that was my North star in my twenties is I want to know God. So I didn't really care where I, where I found him. I just want to know him. So in college, I went to a Methodist church, um, mostly, um, I moved around a little bit, but mostly I was at a Methodist church. I was, I was at a Bible church for a little bit, too. Um, and at the Methodist church, I was exposed to the Holy Spirit in ways I never had been before. Um, saw people speaking in tongues for the first time. I know that sounds crazy from a Methodist church, but that's what happened. And people talked about a relationship with God on a level that I was not familiar with after college. I lived in Dallas for a while and uh, was part of more charismatic kind of home church scene there, which really was was part of the vineyard movement, actually. Um, you might have heard me mention a guy named Michael O'Shields, who is still around, um, but, but Michael was very uh, influential in those days, and Michael um, comes up through the vineyard tradition, which is which is charismatic but also Bible-based. A guy named John Wimber is a was a, is a big deal and the um, a real influencer in the Vineyard movement. And then um, also in those college days, I was part of a messianic Jewish congregation. Um, I have scant amounts of Jewish uh, blood. Um, my my family isn't Jewish, but. Uh, there are things about, um, as Romans 11 would tell us, there are things about being connected to that vine, that, that uh, olive tree, that I didn't really appreciate, and being part of that congregation was a great setup for me for uh, future relationships I would have, including a, a guy named John Myers, who was a good friend of mine now in Cincinnati. Um, he, by the way, I'll just plug. He has a wonderful six-week study called the Israel Story, and it has its own app, and you can learn about Israel there. And I have visited Israel several times, and and my um, my little stint in uh, at Baruch Hashem, which is the Messianic synagogue in uh, North Dallas off Beltline Road, um, set me up wonderfully for that. So. Since I came to Cincinnati, I have spent uh, the last 18 years on the staff at a big non-denominational church, and I'll I'll get back to that in a second. I just want to talk through my ministerial experience. So when I was in my 20s, I've made reference here on the podcast a couple of times to being a missionary with the Baptists. And I went to uh, Northern England, and there was challenged by a friend who remains a friend, Carl Nyquist. He's a a missionary in Ireland right now, and he was in Scotland at the time, and he challenged me that basically what I was doing was was, um, reproducing church services when I got together with the boys that I was mentoring and spending time with and carl really challenged me on making disciples that there that there's a much more pointed focus in making disciples it's slower work and it's more permanent work and it actually changes the trajectory of somebody's life as opposed to them being in a in a bible study so that was significant for me at that time in in england i was in my early 20s and I was leading a church at the time. So I was preparing sermons on a weekly basis. I was visiting congregants in their homes uh, for people who were inquirers. I would meet with them and share the gospel with them. We we're putting on, uh, you know, vacation Bible schools and all of the, all of the all of the work that you would think of as a traditional pastor. I was doing that in my 20s and um, a real light bulb turned on for me through Carl about making disciples. So I started doing that in England, uh, came home, did that in Texas. Um, I, was a, I was also a worship leader. I'd kind of developed um, some musical skills in college. That's the role that I started with at this church in Cincinnati. I was the worship leader for four years, and I had a Funny relationship uh, with the with this church because I told them, listen, I don't see that worship leading is uh, you know a ministerial gift, um, scripturally. But I also know that you guys need music on your weekend, you know, pep rallies that you do. So I'll do I'll do the music for that. But I want you all to know that my my ministry, what I think God has called me to, is making disciples. So. Um, I kind of did that on the side. And over time, that became something that I did at, at the church, bringing discipleship programs online. At some point, we started um, dreaming about getting men together out in a field. What if we could get a whole bunch of guys together, go camping, and give them an experience with God where they they could n- touch Uh, God's heart and get to know him better and get some ministry. Well, um, I pulled together a group of my, of guys that I had spent time with. Some were guys that I had discipled intently. Some were just guys that I uh, knew and trusted. And we threw a group together um, at the very first camp that we did with men and just said, let's just minister to these guys. Let's, let's pray for guys. Let's, let's ask for healing for them. Let's let them be delivered of some of the, some, some of the, I don't know, problems that, that bind them. And we saw tremendous results and that program of doing what we called, wait for it, man camps, pretty clever, huh? Uh, man camps that proliferated. And when it did, I had to start figuring out a way to train guys, um, to minister, in a way that had taken me a long time um, in building into just a handful of guys for them to know how to do. So I just sort of fell into um, training large groups of people for for our camps. And as our camps have uh, expanded, where there's now a woman camp and a veterans camp and a college camp and a mother-daughter camp and all these different kind of camps, then we have trained more and more people uh, to minister. And um, to date, we've had about 2,000 people go through our, our training Um, for for ministry we call it ministry 101 and at the end of that time you have some basic skills you know how to lay hands on people you know how to walk people through repentance you know how to to uh, get people baptized Um, that is baptized into Christ baptized uh, through water we know how to give someone um, you know let them give their lives to Christ um, pray for healing etc so I, I did that, and um, I'll just also throw on, you know, I've led a lot of home meetings, um, both in my home and in other homes. Also at this church, I've been on the teaching team for years. So I, I, I just want you all to kind of know uh, that I'm just not some fly-by-night guy who's trying to gather an audience for myself. That, that's not the case. Whatever I'm doing here on Abraham's Wallet... Um, I've been doing for a very long time and if Abraham's wallet or podcasting in general went away next week, uh, I would just continue to do what I've been doing for 25 years, which is spending time with men that, that kind of takes me to, uh, finance, which is how, how in the world did I get into finance? Sounds like I've been a minister my whole life. Well, because I've been discipling men for, for a large part of my life now, As you can imagine, as I've gotten older, the group of men that I've um, spent time with has gotten older as well. So mostly it was just high school guys, then it was college guys, and then it was guys who were getting married, and then it was guys who were having kids. And as my clientele, if you will, has matured, then I have found the things that I need to help them with has expanded. So you got to help a guy through marriage. Uh, That's a pretty chewy subject. And then you got to help him through being a parent. And then if he is managing money for the first time in his life, you got to help him uh, get his head around some practicalities. So that's what I, that's what I was doing. Just, just helping a guy be organized, helping him think through, wait, what's your, what's your savings plan? What does your budget look like? Tell, tell me how, what are the finances of your home? Because if you don't know this, um, the number one reason that people get divorced is financial problems. So I wanted to put my finger on that as I was discipling men and helping them. I want them to understand how to lead their homes in a way that's, that's healthy and, and leads to abundance. So I was doing that work already. Um, Mark, um, Mark Parrott, who you also uh, hear from here on The Wallet, uh, he's been in finance for uh, his entire working career. Um, and he's told you some stories about that. But uh, Mark and I um, found that there was a, not only a massive overlap to our interests and in that we're both interested in, in uh, helping men and helping them lead their homes in a biblical way that leads to um, God honoring success, um, but that his outages, um, well, I should say my outages were covered uh, by him very well. So we started doing this together as an experiment. We, we started writing articles and, um, just wanted to get out some of the stuff that we were helping men with. And, uh, that in short time led to, um, our business, which is outpost advisors and outpost advisors, um, is of yes, it is a it is a financial advising outfit. Yes, we do financial advising, sort of traditional. What you think? You know, you could hand us, you could hand us your money, and we will invest it for you and take care of it. We can do that. But what makes our business unique is that we spend time with families to help them unearth what has God made our family for. Why do we exist? What is our unique brand of our family? And once we understand that, how can we put goals against that vision so that I'm actually executing on what God made me for? And then how can we send money as an electrical current through those goals and bring those things to life? Because if your money isn't working to bring God's purposes about in your life, what in the world is it for? It can only be a stumbling block for you. So that's how we. That's kind of what makes what makes uh, Outpost unique. So the reason that we do Abraham's Wallet is because we care about uh, Christian families, and to be frank, um, in my view, the church, um, the, the the formalized, institutionalized church has has been insufficient on these topics and maybe that's not their job to to I don't know equip families financially um, but we like to think we're helping to fill a gap and we want we like to get into the weeds on something as granular as uh, what to do with your 529 programs and um, how you can maximize tax write-offs etc we, we like to to get into the weeds. And we like to come at those as much as we can from a biblical uh, worldview and use scriptures to explain what we're, what we're about. I mean, I I hope you can clearly see that's, that's the story of my life. And I, I'm also doing this because I still want to know God. Um, I, I should just, just let me put in a, a little point here to say the reason that I do quote ministry and spend time with people and uh, train people to, to, who can also minister to people it isn't because I love people so much. I do kind of love people just because my father loves them, but I'm really here because I want to know him. And when we minister, we get to know our father more because we, we're entering into the family business. And he shows up at the workbench when we start tinkering with the things he's interested in. He shows up at the workbench and he starts explaining things to us. There's a proverb that says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Well, where do you think refreshment comes from? Who do you think would refresh us? It would be our Heavenly Father, that when we do his works, he gets involved. So. That's why I like teaching the scriptures, for instance, because his spirit is present and he likes the expounding of his scriptures. Why am I interested in worship? Well, because uh, he's present in that. He, he likes worship, so he shows up. Um, why, do, why am I interested in making disciples? Well, he commanded me to make disciples, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He commanded me to make disciples and when we obey him, he kind of shows up. So I'm, I do all of the things that I do because I still want to know him. He, he's my motivation, not, not a ranking, not how many listeners we can get. Um, not, uh, anybody esteeming me. Um, it's because I want to know him. So I, I had a funny, um, I'm, that just reminds me, I had a really funny interaction this week um, we had some uh, a family of listeners come to Cincinnati and um, for the first time and visited some some great people, uh, people who we've had here on the podcast um, repeatedly and people we respect. And anyways, they they wanted some time with me, which I was happy to give them. Um, they're also outpost, uh, clients and, uh, wanted some time with me just to give them a tour of the city, which, um, I'll tell you, I like Cincinnati. I think it has a, a really, uh, important destiny that God's given the city and it has a really interesting history. So they said, would you give us a tour of the city? So sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I was happy to do that for a couple of hours, take them on tour. And when I met this family face to face, it was really funny. The wife said she just kind of gawked at me and said, you don't look anything like what I expect you to look like. I said, what did you expect me to look like? She said, in my mind's eye, you were short, you were dark headed, and you had a, a bushy mustache and, uh, and glasses. She said, I'm, "I'm glad. Well, I'll be darned." I told her, "I know what that feels like, because there, there's people that I listen to, and when I see them, see what they look like, I almost don't want to see them. That, that's not what you look like in my mind's eye. I'd go away from me. So if you know, if you're interested, I'm six four. I'm kind of a, a wide frame. I'm kind of a, a imposing presence. I'm told. Um, I, I'm weighing in at about oh." Two thirty-five these days. Um, I'd rather be about two twenty, but you know that's what it is. Okay, that's all. I think that's all that we need to know about me. Um, But I mentioned filling the gap. Um, We think that uh, the church has been insufficient, so we fill the gap. I, as I've said, I have a lifetime around churches. I I care about the institutional church because. There are so many of the Lord's sheep inside the organizations, not because the organizations themselves are anything important, not because they're going to be around for long. They're not. They're they're not going to exist forever. They're a a temporal um, solution to trying to gather people together. Um, And guess what? Sometimes the organization misses it. So that brings me to, wait for it, church rant time. Today's rant is an extension of what I was saying before when I ranted about worship music, I don't know, a couple of months ago. I've got some wonderful uh Friends, who in, over Memorial Day we were we were sitting down to play a game of hearts. I think there were about six of us about to play hearts, and we got into a discussion um, about um, people calling um, a call for obedience, calling that legalism. And I've heard this repeatedly um, when when I have. When I've tried to, when I or others have, have called people to holy living, for instance, um, don't swear. Uh, keep your language clean. A, a, simple, a, a simple call toward holiness like that is often called by modern evangelicalism, legalism somebody will point oh that's legalism don't tell me to keep my mouth clean that you're you're being legalistic there that you're being religious um and boy i i think i when we got into the discussion i think i closed my eyes slowly turned my head around as if i was loosening up my neck and i was kind of like I'm going to try to say this calmly because I have no small degree of anger about what's going on in the church these days. So uh, anyways, I'm going to start in on an email that I that I wrote to my friend at, when we were fo- having a follow-up email conversation about that live conversation, Memorial Day. Here we go. There, And I'll just interrupt myself whenever I want because it's my email. Um, there is a larger issue than just the obedience versus legalism issue here, and that issue is what we think the goal of the whole God enterprise is. What do we think the goal of the whole thing is? It seems to me that if you look around church life right now, and just just if you just combine all of our songs and all of our testimonies and all of our teachings and all of our promotional videos, you put all that together somehow you might be led to believe that the goal of the gospel is something like, I'm going to give you three, three things that you might think the goal of the gospel is. One is that you think it's you being more you. Like there's a great version of you somewhere back there. And if, if we could just unleash that thing, you could really come to life in an amazing way. Number two would just be you getting more blank. And you get to fill in that that blank with any number of things, like here's a really popular one, freedom. You're getting more freedom, whatever you think that means. You getting more love. That's really the goal of the whole enchilada. That's the goal of the Bible. That's why Jesus came and died. If you listen to our songs, you you'd be you would think that's what it is. If you went to a few church services at big happening, successful rock and roll churches that look kind of cool and look like uh, uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines over in Waco, Texas, like Magnolia designed the church because it's got barn wood and some rust and some rocks in there maybe. Um, you might think that you getting more love is the whole goal of the thing, or you getting more boldness, the just be you, you, you do you, um, maybe, maybe it's more you getting more insight, or maybe it's you getting more community. That's not quite the buzzword in, uh, in 2021 as it was say five years ago, but community, there's a lot that's excused under the, under the banner of community. We just want community as if that's the goal. So you being more you, you getting more of something. Or number three, this is a hot one over the last uh, handful of years, fixing the world in some way. The goal of the whole God enterprise is fixing the world in some way. We want a particular kind of justice. We want to see a particular kind of equality. We want to see opportunities for everybody, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's the goal of the whole thing. And I just want to say each of these reasons is wrong. Those are not the goal of the gospel. It's not the goal of the church. It's not the goal of the God enterprise. Each of these reasons is wrong. And it's not just a little bit wrong. But it's utterly bankrupt to the point of idolatry. It's utterly mistaken. I've seen the pre let's go back to the freedom thing. I've seen preaching about freedom. At at some point, it's it's we've started acting like freedom was a point in, in itself. You know, what God wants for you is freedom. As if Stephen in freedom, me in freedom is the best thing imaginable. And I just got to say me in utter freedom with no constraints or boundaries on me. That sounds like an all powerful Stephen, which sounds like hell, by the way. So our, our operating definition of freedom should be the ability to obey God and pursue him unhindered. That should be our definition of freedom. And that's the only kind of freedom we should seek. Anything more than that is glorification of flesh and self and will lead us directly away from the heart of the Father. The goal isn't that you be, you'll be so free you can go do your own thing and go be yourself. No, no. When we talk about setting people free, like in deliverance, people hear voices, you know, they, they hear voices of, you're rejected, you'll, you'll never be on the inside, you'll never receive love. Well, we want to stamp out that voice in Jesus' name. We want to remove the cause or the source of that voice, and we want to replace that voice with truth. And let me explain why we want to replace those voices, because those voices are in opposition to the truth revealed in the scripture about how God feels about his children. I'm speaking specifically about his children, that is people who are following Christ. Uh, you in freedom, is a, that is a non-starter. No good. That's not the goal. Um, We only want to remove impediments to you following Christ. And by the way, following Christ has, with, with that pursuit, any number of constraints, tons of constraints. Constraints for how the family works. Constraints for how we're to do our money, as we talk about here on Abraham's Wallet all the time. There are constraints for how we're to speak to one another. There are constraints for how we are to think There are constraints for who we can spend time with and how. There are constraints on how our marriages work. There are constraints on how we lead our children. There are all kinds of constraints scripturally. So freedom is not the goal. Freedom is a byproduct of knowing God. You'll experience freedom in a way that doesn't set you up as your own idol, It just releases you into the broad pastures of God's shepherding. What's happening in the church is that we like to toy with the idea that we could have the kingdom and take or leave the Father himself, as if he's an option to go along with the good and enjoyable and satisfying and comforting life that we really desire. Now, if God is your means to getting something else, whether that's financial security, um, whether that is freedom, whether that is love, if he, if He is your means for getting the thing that you really desire, then God is God is a, a way station for you. and and what you want are solutions. you want practical solutions that will get you your true love. And so in that way, that thing that's your true love which you're really after that's an idol for you so freedom might be an idol for you and what i want is for god to give me freedom and if god ever does something to me that impinges upon my freedom then i reject god because my true love my true idol is freedom the movement toward me has resulted in the kinds of songs that make me ill as if the end of the gospel is Jesus breaking my chains. That's not the end of the gospel. Um, they're, they're, I think of when the Lord saved Paul and he said, uh, I'm gonna show this guy how much he must suffer for my name. And following Christ led to chains for Paul, led to chains. So uh, Paul couldn't, when they're sh- putting him in shackles and leading him away to throw him under the city hall, um, Paul couldn't sing your song. Jesus is breaking my chains. He's like he, his song would be: Jesus is giving me chains right now. So it warps our attitude toward obedience, and and there's an unholy transformation of the church from grateful servants of God into entitled egomaniacs who only want God if He sets me up for life. It completely undermines the necessity of suffering. Something modern evangelicalism doesn't know what to do with. And it cuts the wick off of discipline, self-denial, submission, and repentance. It is some sick stuff. And it's at epidemic levels today in Western Christianity. Which explains to some degree why we're so anemic. Because we don't want something like suffering. Well, guess what? Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. That's, that's uh, Hebrews 5 seven and eight, I believe. Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. How do you think you're going to learn obedience? I can, I can tell you, you'll learn obedience by the things that you suffer. So if you're going through hard stuff right now, as you're trying to follow Christ, if you go to a big successful uh, church right now, they might be telling you, oh, you know, that's just, you, somebody's trying to keep you down. You, you got to go to a place where you feel more freedom, dot, dot, dot. That's when you start running away from pain. That's when you start divorcing because it's too hard. And God didn't, God never would have designed me to have a life of pain. Why would he ever want me to experience pain? Why would he ever want me to suffer? Um, By the way, you know, if you're a dude, and that's who I'm, that's who I'm thinking of as I'm talking, Um, what did you think it meant in Ephesians 5 when it says lay down your life for your bride the way that Christ laid down his life for the church do you know what it meant for Jesus to lay down his life for the church it meant that he died it meant that he was abused and mistreated and he was uh, tortured and then he died so do you think by laying down your life for your bride that what you can expect is um, endless weekend retreats uh, in, in, on Mexican beaches with your lovely bikini clad wife? Uh, I don't think so. I think that you can probably expect some pain to happen as you choose against yourself, deny yourself, submit to God's constraints and lay down your life for your wife. I mean, the marriage isn't horrible. It's a wonderful gift from God, but nobody has any trouble wrapping their arms around the wonderful gift from God part. What people want to kick out of bed is the pain part. Um, and guess what? If you want to get your finances in order, you better throw your arms around the pain part and the submission part and the, Oh, I don't get to do everything I want to do with my money. There are some constraints that God has put on me and you're not going to be able to sing all your freedom, freedom worship songs. Um, when God has you living under your means so that you can pay off credit card debt, for instance, am I getting too up in your laps here? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, now, hold on. This is church rant time. Aren't I allowed to get a little uppity during church rant time? Okay. Well, I uh, I'll get to the actual good stuff, okay? What, what is it supposed to be like? Well, the end of the gospel isn't you being more full of yourself, nor is it fixing the world on whatever level you prefer. It's not, it's not what happens on the outside. It's not what City Hall does. The point of the gospel of our church is making City Hall act right. No. Luke seventeen twenty says the kingdom does not come from outward observation. And the only one who gets to define what the kingdom is, is the one who said that. So the kingdom of God is something that happens inside us when God gets hold of us and starts renovating our utterly bankrupt hearts. And by my reading, the goal of the whole God exercise, as I was describing before, is, here it is, get ready for it, the knowledge of God. That's the goal of of the whole exercise, that's the end of everything, is that we might know God. Not all the amazing byproducts. Did you know that if you know God, you'll end up feeling loved? That's true. But is feeling loved our goal? Nope. Knowing God is. If you know God, you'll end up uh, discovering that He, you were born into a family of faith. And you have community as much as you want, as deep as you want. Is that the goal, deep community? No, it is not the goal. The goal is knowing God. It's not even um, disciples. And uh, disciples are supposed to be part of the story. It's not even fruits of the Spirit fruits of the spirit is supposed to be part of the story. It's not justice. It's not even holy living. It's not more revelation or more spiritual experiences. It's not increased mercy or kindness or generosity. It's not getting in charge of your finances or any of the other thousand things that people actually desire more than God himself and I have desired more than God himself. He is the end of all of our efforts and all of our prayers and all of our church attendance and all of our Bible study. He himself, knowing him is the goal. This is what uh, David said, by the way, in, in Psalm 27.4. He said, I just want to know God. I've I've seen it all and I just want to know him. This is what Paul said in Philippians 3.10. He said, I've seen it all and all I want is to know him. This is a guy who had started churches and raised people from the dead and wrote two thirds of the New Testament. And he said, all I want is to know God. Jesus said that knowing God is what eternal life is. John 17.3. There is no higher goal than the knowledge of God. Jesus died so that we who were far off might be brought close to God. Why? Why, why bring us close to God? To help him build his religion? To start a revolution? By the way, I hate that phraseology. Jesus did not come to start a revolution. Not to correct systems of injustice, not to evangelize. No, because he had a heart to be known by the children who were once cut off from him. Ephesians 2, there's this great section, Ephesians 2, 11, verses 11 through verses 22. It describes our separation. And if you look at the end result of Christ's atonement and his redemption of us, the the description of what the end result is, is that we're brought near. Citizenship, a dwelling place for God's spirit. These are the phrases that Paul uses at the end of that section in, in Ephesians 2 to describe what is the end result. Being brought near, citizenship, a dwelling place for God's spirit. We can't idolize any of the possible consequences of, of being with God because they may or may not happen. You know, uh, God may or may not give you the thing that you want. We don't keep our eyes on those things. We keep our eyes on knowing him and obedience is an absolute necessity for knowing him and obedience for him is going to lead to suffering and People who would help you obey God, um, those are your friends. So when when somebody uh, reminds you that you're in sin, and, and they do that in a friendly way, not an accusatory way, but in a loving way, they say, uh, hey, you're, you're in sin here. You're falling afoul of God's uh, laws. Um, and let me remind you what his laws are, what his uh, strictures are, and, and what his boundaries are, and you're running afoul of them, and you're going to get stung by them, is going to hurt you, and it dishonors God, who you have claimed as your master, the one that you want to serve. Those people who do that to you, they're your friends, and you should throw your arms around anybody who cares enough about you to do that, because they're rare. We talked about this in our series on eldership. <coughs> that those who have uncomfortable conversations with people about sin, they are rare. They don't run around in herds necessarily. They, they are rare birds and, and they're precious. Somebody who calls you to obedience, they're not a legalist. So a legalist, I'm finally getting here to the definition, I know. A legalist is somebody who tells you that obeying God saves you that doing what God wants will make you right with, with God. So for instance, God tells us to put a day, a week aside. He calls it the Sabbath and he says, you will rest on this day. There are plenty of Christians who shrug their shoulders and go, oh, that doesn't work for my family. We don't do that. Anybody who comes alongside that family and says, Hey, I love you. But you're, you're sucking on a poisonous lozenge here by oppo- uh, opposing God. And, and those chickens will come home to roost. You must not oppose God's ways. You must submit to God's ways. A person who says that to you is your friend. And if you say, no, when I said the uh, uh, Sabbath doesn't work for me and my family, I meant it. And you know what you are, you're a legalist. You're religious. You're trying to make, you're trying to put some rules on me, because what I want is freedom. That's what all the songs told me. Every Sunday they tell me that what I'm about is freedom, and you you are impinging upon my freedom. You've revealed a couple of things there. One, you've revealed what your idol is—that you're not really a worshiper or, or, or a servant of God, because what you want is freedom more than anything else. And you've revealed that you don't want truth tellers around your life who will actually help you obey. Legalism would say if you keep the Sabbath, you can be redeemed of your sins by keeping the Sabbath. That, that if you follow God's ways, though that following, that, that submission to God's ways will save you. And you don't have to do business with Jesus himself. That's legalism. Because you can't follow rules enough to please God. You have to do business with Jesus himself. You come before him and say, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I got no hope but you. Would you take me by your mercy? And would you receive me based on what Jesus did alone and that I can add nothing to because I'm so bankrupt and hopeless in myself? That's the gospel. And when you receive that gospel, guess what? There is a byproduct according to verses like 1 John 2, 3. That says, we know that we've come to know him when we obey his commands. So the result of knowing God is that you follow him in obedience. Obedience is a necessary byproduct of being born again. It's not what saves you. But it is a necessary byproduct. Check, check James chapter 2 if you don't think that obedience is a necessary byproduct and anybody that calls you to obedience you call a legalist. You need to check in with James chapter 2 for a starter and then check in with Jesus and then check in with First John and all sorts of... Well, check in with the Bible and just see what it does to you. It will oppose the popular line. spoken in churches okay i I, i'm i'm going to stop looking at my notes i think i've ranted enough to review my rant is that um obedience to god and calling obedience to his word is not legalism and that um, a greater degree of discipleship and obedience to god is the way forward that's that's who we want to become we want to become like jesus who obeyed the father in all things at all times and submitted his life all the way, even submitting to death on a cross. And we ought to do the same. Okay. So thanks for listening to the rant. Rant over. Um, I'll just wrap up by saying thanks for, for, if you've made it this far, thanks for taking the time to hear some of my story and uh, for listening to today's rant. I I seriously do what I do because I want to serve you all. And I believe that by serving you, I can know the Lord more. And so um, I hope what we do is a blessing. If it doesn't, if you understand where we're coming from, you understand what what our heart is. And yet we're not scratching your itch, um, whether it's with finances or the way that you lead your home. We'd love to hear from you. We really dig the uh, the emails, and you can go to abrahamswallet.com and and talk to us there. Or you could do like this family did this week. You can come to Cincinnati and let me give you a tour of this great town and introduce you to some some happening families who are um, they're they're leading they they are leading toward God. In accordance with his uh, statutes, I, I mean, I just believe they're, they're kind of there's a group of families here that are showing us um, how great it can be to make the following of God the centerpiece of your family life and how fruitful that is. So that's it for this week. Um, thanks for hanging around. Bless you all. Have a great week.